Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The new season officially begins. That 12-4 and four record, well, that was just a ticket to get into new season that we have. That is the postseason. We have entered the portal, the matrix, the postseason. It's on, folks. The Bengals take on the Ravens this weekend, just a week removed from having beaten them Sunday afternoon, and it should be a good one. Welcome into a postseason preview edition of the Strictly Stripes podcast. Muhammad Ahmad, Andrew Gillis, and Mike Nislik are here ready to set the stage, and before we do... I'm sure many of you already know, but DeMar Hamlin, uh, who has been the center of the NFL world and really the world at large, has been distar- discharged from UC Medical Center uh, as of Monday. We're taping this on Monday for those who are listening to this later, but uh, it's just really remarkable because you know this is almost not even a full week after uh, he was admitted after he suffered cardiac arrest on the field against the Buffalo Bills on Monday night. So in just under a week, you know, he was able to – uh, you know, grab hands and then get off the breathing tube and respond and stay neurologically intact, like the doctor said. And, you know, he's on social media, posting on Twitter, on Instagram. And so now uh, he's headed back to Buffalo where he's going to continue his recovery from there, uh, which, you know, that's going to be on his terms now. But, I mean, how how nice is that, guys? I mean, I, I know that put a smile on my face. I know, like, Zach Taylor was talking today, and right away he just said, like, I think the word he used was unbelievable. Like, you know, and that's something that was really, you know, close to him this week with, you know, having been in the middle of all that. But how about that, man? That's that's definitely got to make you guys feel good to start the week is just seeing that. I think that was awesome. We could, I mean, you could really kind of tell how much it mattered to, um, you know, to, to players on the Bengals and, and, and Zach Taylor, like you mentioned. Um, you know, he obviously, I mean, he said this was a miracle. So think that this, uh, you know, you could see the turn during the week um, on, I believe it was Thursday morning. There was some really good news. The Bengals kind of took that and ran with it, felt better. Friday morning, same thing. So this, uh, you know, it, it's good news, obviously, for everybody. Um, you know, the Bengals were obviously just kind of waiting there, uh, waiting on news, just like everybody else. And I, uh, you know, they're obviously really happy to see it. And I think it kind of takes a load off of their shoulders for sure. Well, it may have been miraculous. I don't know if it was a miracle in the sense that I think you have to credit uh, the right. first responders, all the people, the trainers on the, the field that worked so quickly, uh, his uh, first-rate world medical care that he received. Uh, I mean, those are the people that uh, deserve all the credit kind of in the world for, um, you know, getting him on the right path. And obviously, you know, his his uh, the shape he was in and the work he put in obviously helped uh, him, you know, himself to sort of make it through um, to be young and fit like that, um, uh, you know, probably – help save his life as well. So uh, I think that can't, you know, get under sort of stated in all of this that, um, you know, seconds mattered, not just minutes, seconds, and and they uh, were up to the task. And uh, I think both uh, organizations have made sure to mention that sort of at every turn. 
You know, it's crazy because he didn't have a pulse for a couple of minutes, like you said, Mike, from a matter of seconds and moments. He didn't have a pulse until, you know, the CPR compressions with the IV resuscitated him. So, you know, you look at the precision that the Bills medical staff had. Um, I forget the name of the, the personal trainer who gave the CPR, but uh, they gave him a game ball after they beat the Bills beat the Patriots yesterday because he literally was one of the people who saved his life in that moment before they took him to UC Medical Center. And I think the most beautiful thing that, you know, we can look back on with all of this is, you know, like that GoFundMe, which no one knew about until that night. It had already had the $2,500 goal met that DeMar Hamlin set for himself when he was, you know, making his own money for the fundraiser, um, raising his own funds for his foundation back home in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area. And to go from that to, I think now it's almost $9 million and, I'm sure it'll go up a little higher even now. I mean, nine, nine and a half million dollars. Like, it, it's beautiful because, you know, it wasn't just like football fans. I mean, you know, I think I said this on the podcast. Like, my mom is, she knows nothing about football. Like, she doesn't, she knows what a touchdown is. And I think that's about it. And even she was just like donating to his foundation and just making sure he was okay. And I think really the way humanity came together for one person. And even though he was just like, again, he wasn't a household name before this. He was a backup safety who was drafted in the sixth round last year, but it didn't matter. He was a human being. He had dignity and, and uh, humanity and compassion like the rest of us. And I think the world really reciprocated that. So when, when you put good in, the, good in the world, the world will give you good back. But now that, you know, we've kind of gotten through that and we, we have uh, the certainty of where he's at with his recovery. You know, the focus now shifts to the playoffs, like we mentioned, to kind of open this podcast up. Uh, again, the Bengals will rematch the Ravens Sunday. And this is actually crazy, guys. I don't know if you know this, but uh, nine – no, I'm sorry. Twelve years ago, in 2009, the Bengals played the Jets on Sunday Night Football in the last week of the season – and no matter how that game went, I think the Bengals were going to play the Jets in the wild card round. Bengals lost that round in New York. So the Jets come to Cincinnati a week later, and this is when they had Mark Sanchez. Like that was the first year Mark Sanchez was quarterback, and they went to Indianapolis and almost stunned, you know, Peyton Manning's Colts. But it started in Cincinnati, and the Jets upset the Bengals. I forget the score, but it was by at least two touchdowns. So, like, this isn't the first time the Bengals have actually had to, like, face a team in the playoffs a week after playing them in the regular season. And we talked a lot about that on the podcast yesterday, but to kind of revisit that, um, you know, we don't know about Lamar Jackson yet, you know, because they haven't practiced this week yet because, again, this is Monday that we're talking. But, you know, the thing that I think we, we kind of talked about besides just setting up the Ravens is, like, that second half on offense – you know, it wasn't great. They were scoreless on seven of eight drives. But I kind of watched a little bit of the, the highlights and the film a little bit before this podcast. And look, it wasn't great. Like, I do think, yeah, Burrow got sacked twice when he wasn't touched in the first half. Uh, receivers weren't as open. He made some questionable throws. But do you think, like, that? that's an actual concern of, oh, what is Joe Burrow doing? Or do you think it's like, hey, you know, we're up 24 to 7. We're not going to throw this game away, obviously, but we're not going to, like, put our feet too hard in the gas pedal because, like, we just want to win this game. Like, how do you kind of look at that? Do you think they really were just like, oh, no? Or or do you think it was more like, ah, we're going to lay back a little bit and maybe the Ravens kind of caught up to them at a a point? No. um, I mean, Brian Callahan said this today where he was just like, 
you know, the, the overthrow to T Higgins um, was, you know, the one that would have been a touchdown, uh, which ironically Joe Burrow threw a really, really great ball to Jamar Chase. I think it was the next play and they scored. Um, but, you know, Brian Callahan kind of joked, like he, he overthrew T and you're like, you know, what are you doing? Like, how do you miss that? And then you kind of, kind of stay, you kind of have to take a step back and be like, okay, well that's, I mean, it's Joe Burrow. Like he, he's going to, miss some throws from time to time because every quarterback misses some throws from time to time. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean the, the offensive issues for me, um, you know, in that second half, like if I were to kind of point to one thing, I wouldn't really be, a, you know, very concerned with the way that Joe Burrow played or kind of the lack of offensive production. The concern for me is what is that right side of the offensive line going to look like, um, Max Sharping's going to have to step in at right guard. Uh, Adenogy's still at right tackle. So that that's the concern. That's the number one area where you kind of point to and say, okay, this is a really big issue, and, and we don't know what this is going to look like until Sunday at kickoff. You know, the, the Burrow stuff and the, the lack of points, I, I really don't take a ton from that. Yeah, I mean, basically you could everybody could have a bad day at the office, I think is how – Brian Callahan described it, and you know, you take and I, he said you kind of take it for granted that he wouldn't. Um, but I mean, I, you know, there's no sort of deeper meaning to having you know making a couple of bad throws. I just think it's surprising when it happens to you know one of the better quarterbacks in the league. And you know, the struggle started. I mean, they scored on their first three drives, punted twice at the end of the half. And that's sort of where everything kind of went wonky. Like you score there, and then you don't have to worry about the second half. Um, and that's, I think, when they got a little maybe more vanilla on offense. And so um, you sort of discount some of what happened there just because they um, weren't throwing out plays that they kind of wanted to hold back uh, for the rematch because obviously as the you know, they were looking up at the Buffalo game and they kind of knew what was where the game was trending. But as far as like a larger concern, uh, Joe Burrow is the least of them for, for this week. Yeah, and that's the thing is like if you really want to even take any meaning cuz like you're right there's not much to read into it but and I say this half sarcastically half serious but like Brian Callahan said it when we overreact to like Joe Burrow overthrowing T Higgins like Andrew said we're just spoiled. We we're just kind of spoiled because like this dude doesn't normally miss like that. Like you know, then this is the thing I want to kind of say about like the Ravens since we're talking about them, you know, playing this week. We were talking so many times on the podcast about, is this game going to be a turning point? Is this game going to be a turning point? Like, looking back weeks from now. And I think now that we're in January, we're getting into the the new season, as I said. Like, we can look back, and I can say with confidence that that Ravens game in week five that they lost on Sunday night, that was a turning point. That was when they knew, okay, we've got some things we can and should improve on, and they did. The first and foremost thing was red zone efficiency. They have like the fifth best red zone efficiency in the league right now. Uh, I think it's about 69%. Like, but I know it's in the top five. I'd have to look at the number again off the top of my head, but it's top five in the league right now. And you're with teams like Dallas and Philadelphia who like are better teams in the league in the red zone who are in the playoffs too. Um, and the other thing, and I kind of talked to Brian Callen about this and I'm going to write a little bit about this this week is, you know, we talked so much about how a lot of defenses were adjusting to cover two two high safeties, more than what they were used to last year, where, you know, Jamar Chase wasn't getting those long balls like he had when they played the Ravens in Baltimore last year. He went off in that game, far from it, you know, this season in Baltimore because of those two high looks. Since then, and I know you and I, Andrew, have talked about this, I think Joe Burrow has been one of the best cover two quarterbacks 
going against cover two for quarterbacks in the league since that game. The Saints game really showed it. And if you remember, there was that classic line where Joe Burrow said, we know who we are now. Other than that blip of a game against Cleveland, they really know who they are. And so, you know, how do you see, like, because, again, Marcus Peters will probably be in this game. Most of the other players that we haven't seen because of the inactives they had for the end of the year are going to be in this game. You know, I guess for either of you, and maybe starting with you, Andrew, like, from what you've seen from Joe Burrow throwing against cover two, how do you think he's going to look against the Ravens cover two this time around? Like, how much is he going to prove that, hey, he learned from that game? he can play against any look, including two high safeties. Uh, well, I mean, just to go back to something you said at the hop, um, I think they kind of found a, a little bit of a run game against the Ravens, but I don't think that they kind of figured out their offense in that game. I think it was actually the next week. Um, Cause if you remember down at the Superdome, um, you know, they went down, I think it was 17 to seven and then they had yeah. to come back. And, and that was when they started incorporating their shotgun RPO looks that was when they started that quick game. So I think that that was kind of where um, where they figured it out. So, you know, I, I don't know if it's, um, you know, figuring out cover two as much as this is just uh, the Bengals kind of taking what defenses are giving them. Um, I think at the beginning of the year they were trying to force it a little bit. Um, you know, Joe Burrow, obviously, he didn't get his full allotment of reps during camp and during the preseason and everything like that. So you have that weird kind of outlier of a game in week one. Uh, you lose to a Dallas team, which at the time, you know, you lose to Cooper Rush and, and the sky is falling. But then after that, I, you started to see a little bit of an uptick. And, um, you know, really for me, since that game against the Saints, which they went into with a losing record, um, that's kind of when they turned around. So I, I don't know if it's anything, you know, I, I don't know if you want to make any like sweeping declarations of, you know, this is where. You know, they figured something out if, you know, if you're talking about Joe Burrow, because I think he was going to figure it out. I think that that's a logical place to. But he, he's just been he's just been good in these last handful of weeks at kind of understanding what defenses are trying to do and what defenses are trying to more accurately take away. And, um, you know, I think that underneath stuff and, you know, kind of realizing you don't have to hit a home run every quarter. You don't have to hit a home run every other drive. I think that that's really kind of benefited them. And, it, I mean, Burrow's been really uh, obviously a huge part of that. Well, not for nothing. A lot of these games have unfolded very differently. I mean, cover two, I mean, Carolina, I mean, that was a non-issue. I mean, some of these games, uh, you know, they didn't have Jamar Chase for four weeks. So, like you said, sort of saying, you know, teams are playing them differently and have played them uh, offered different challenges every week. And um, I think the key word that Zach Taylor has used often this season is how uh, they've adapted to the various um, defensive game plans. Um, you know, I, I don't think teams are just solely uh, relying on cover two, um, you know, because they've been able to sort of break that. Um, and, and teams have had to move away from that just because uh, they have been more and more willing to uh, use the checkdowns. I mean, Zach Taylor pointed out today that, you know, their running backs have combined uh, 100 catches on this season. So that's just sort of, you know, um, that's, you know, that wouldn't be my offensive takeaway for the last sort of this, this win streak, um, you know, in terms of how they've been successful. You know, I think with all that said too, you know, it's not the biggest thing. And like you said, like I almost forgot that Jamar Chase was, was hurt for those couple games. He was gone with the hip injury he had against uh, the Falcons where he aggravated it. But that's the thing is like, he was doing that without him. I mean, and now we've seen the rise of Trenton Earn, which we can talk more about later. Cause 
I mean, that guy is something special for what he's been through being on the practice squad almost his whole career to being on the active roster for the first time. It's awesome. But, you know, when we get back on the show, we're going to talk more about that and what's going to have to work on the right side of the line if the Bengals want to keep Joe Burrow protected in the pocket and much, much more. But you're listening to the Strictly Stripes podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. So as we mentioned, Alex Kappa was injured in that game against Baltimore. Zach Taylor said he didn't have enough information, but that, quote, it would be tough for him this week. Um, I don't want to speculate, but I also just want to say I won't be shocked if we don't see Alex Kappa this week. He did say if that's the case, Max Sharping is going to be the guy. Uh, Max Sharping had 33 combined starts with the Houston Texans before the Bengals claimed him off the waiver wire uh, in the preseason. They had to pay a little bit more to get him because of the nature of his contract with the Texans. But, I mean, that's obviously why they still had faith in him. If they're willing to pay that money, then that shows you why they were willing to get him with where they were on the waiver wire. But, you know, like we said, um, it's going to be tough for the Bengals on the right side. You don't have uh, Alex Kappa, who I think has been – one of the best on the line, especially on that right side. Lyle Collins, <laughs> you know, he's had his ups and downs, but like overall compared to where they were last year, Collins has given them a lot more protection on the right side. But now you have, uh, like I said, Sharping, you have Hakeem Adeniji on the right side. And behind him, you really only have Deontay Smith and then Isaiah Prince on the practice squad. And aside from Sharping, you have Jackson Carmen, which, I mean, I think uh, that spoke for itself on – Sunday, I'm not going to elaborate further on on that, but, you know, the concern level is high. We all agree on that. But against Baltimore, like you got Adolfe Owe, you got Justin Houston, Jason Pierre-Paul, not an elite rush like you would see from the Cowboys or the Steelers or the Browns who got to the best of the Bengals this year. Granted, it was, you know, when their offensive line was still kind of clicking, but still good fronts. How much do you worry about the Ravens relative to the other pass rushes they faced this year? with that injury? I think the concern's vast. I mean, they're playing two backups. It doesn't matter who they're facing. Uh, I think there'd be tremendous concern um, in terms of uh, this weekend. I mean, having the whole right side of your line um, is is really, you know, kind of scary, I I feel like. Um, I thought the Ravens really did pressure really well. Um, uh, and I I thought in the first half they were sort of the reason the game was a game, uh, to be honest. I I thought they were the ones that didn't get the memo that, um, you know, they they were waving the white white flag. So, um, yeah, I'd be, you know, uh, very concerned. Regardless of the opponent, I think the Ravens, um, it's not a good matchup for that, you know, having two of your starters down. Um, And obviously, you know, we talked about, this when uh, Leal Collins went down, that he'd be the one you'd want to be able to replace uh, easily. Uh, but Kappa, you know, in that interior, and Brian Callahan mentioned this today, that really can't help those guys. So I think this is like flashing red light, like um, concern level um, for, for the for the for the Bengals. Yeah, and um, you know, I, like you mentioned the kind of the beginning of the game there, Mike, like. 
it's a fun story kind of afterwards. I mean, it just goes to show you what winning does, um, you know, because after the game, everybody's talking to Joe Burrow and, you know, the questions are in a positive light, like, you know, you know, your escapability in the first quarter. And, you know, I mean, we all kind of oohed and odd at, at what he had to do to get away from pressure. Um, but, you know, kind of the, the glass half empty version of that is, okay, well, he was under pressure and there was some kind of stuff in his face, like, that you really don't want to have. And and now you've got a Ravens defense, like you mentioned with Peters earlier, Muhammad, like Peters is coming back and Brandon Stevens, one of their other corners is coming back. Like the, the Ravens are a team just philosophically who kind of believes that you don't really need to dial up pressure with, you know, with blitzes all the time, or you don't need to do it with, you know, an elite edge rusher. You can kind of get pressure on the quarterback if you can sit back and kind of bait them into mistakes. And when you've got, you know, the corners that they have, Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, uh, you got some DBs back there at the, at the safety position, Marcus Williams, Chuck Clark, Kyle Hamilton. Like you've got guys that are really, really good in coverage. And if you're just able to kind of sit four of them or excuse me, sit seven of them back and only rush four guys, that's going to be a problem if those four guys are getting home, because that is when you get into the danger territory of, okay, Joe Burrow has to make a really, really tight throw. And if he's a little bit off, I mean, you're talking about interceptions. You're talking about maybe pick sixes. You're talking about, you know, kind of drives that end quickly. So, um, yeah, I mean, the offensive line is is kind of a big concern here. And not for nothing, they've been increasingly one-dimensional. I mean, they're not even trying to run the ball anymore. So Right. Uh, yeah, and, you know, and when, when they do, it's not yeah. even really working. Yeah, like, because, you know, when Mixon ran the ball, he, I mean, he only had 11 carries. I know that's not a lot, because like you said, they're not really trying. It's really just let Burrow cook and do his thing. But, I mean, Mixon still had two and a half yards of carry, so you could see why. Now, with Piran, I know it's different, because when Mixon had the concussion for uh, two or three games when he was out, uh, when he got hurt against the Steelers, Piran did it great with the ball in his hands, catching and running, but... Even then, like, you know, they're not even really relying on him because that's the thing. Like I said, you, the, the plan is you got Joe Burrow. He's an MVP caliber quarterback. Just let Joe Burrow cook. Let him do his thing. But, you know, um, that's the thing is we're not really going to see much of that. If we see Mixon or Pirine, it's going to be in the flat because, like Zach Taylor said, they've done great catching the ball. And, the, you know, with Mixon, I don't want to be too hard on him, but, you know, he's one of the best, like, running backs in the red zone, catching and receiving. Like, he has the six most total touchdowns among the running backs, you know, combined receiving and rushing in the red zone specific. I know everything is not just based on that, but like if there's a silver lining, they say, you know, he scored in the red zone yesterday and like most of his touchdowns have come in the red zone. So he, he's been a reliable force in that sense. You know, you'd be surprised. Most people think, oh, you get your running back and you punch a ticket in. Not always the case. So with him, he's he's done great with that, you know, even slightly outside of the red zone. But, uh, you know, I, I just, I don't know. It's definitely going to be interesting to see kind of what happens with, with Mixon in the offseason since, you know, we're in the postseason and we're going to obviously finish the season either in a week or it could be in six days. It could be in six weeks for all we know because Super Bowl is in six weeks. But I do want to see kind of what happens with Mixon or what they kind of do with him. And that's just something in the back of my mind. But speaking of which, um, this is far from the offseason, but it is Black Monday. Um, and there have already been openings, as you guys already know. Lovey Smith. Uh, who led the Texans to a 3-13-1 season. Uh, they did beat the Colts on Sunday, surprisingly, even though they had Sam Ellinger, the Colts did. Uh, Texans told Lovey Smith, you're one and done. Uh, they fired him uh, last night. And then as, as for uh, the Arizona Cardinals, Cliff Kingsbury, 
who had a really interesting tenure in Arizona, didn't even last uh, six years, which, believe it or not, no Arizona Cardinals coach has lasted longer than six years. In their 100-year existence, including their time in Chicago and St. Louis, he's out, uh, which is crazy because he signed a contract extension 10 months ago through 2027. Um yeah, not a great year. They have the fourth overall pick in the draft. Arizona does. They went 4-13, and even with Kyler Murray before he got hurt uh, in the last couple weeks. And they had to go to, like, God knows how many quarterbacks, like three quarterbacks. And then, of course, with uh, Sean McVay, we don't know what's going to happen with him. But there's rumors that he could step down after, you know, the Ra- the Rams. I almost said the Ravens. We're talking about him so much. The Rams went 5-11 and this season. 5-12, uh, and I should say, because they lost to the Seahawks. They went 5-12. and Um and then, of course, you know, he, ha- he has some personal things going on. His grandfather recently passed away. His girlfriend's family is being affected by the invasion in Ukraine. So they're saying he might be stepping away there. So I guess with that, this is what I was going to get to. Brian Callahan has come up in a lot of conversations about could he be a head coach? Could he take a job? Even though we're in an offensively tilted league, the same has been said for Lou Anarumo being the defensive mastermind he is. You have those two jobs in Arizona and Houston. You could have a job open in L.A. You have the one in Denver that opened after Nathaniel Hackett got fired after a very forgettable season. I know this is super, super early, but since it's Black Monday, just to bring it up, I mean, could you see either Brian Callahan or Lou Anarumo being serious contenders for either of those jobs? Um, I, I think you can, I, I have an easier time seeing it with Callahan, um, just because the league is such an offensive driven league. I mean, you, you just kind of look around at the guys who get hired and kind of why they get hired and things like that. I, I mean, a lot of times if you're going to hire somebody who is going to be a first time head coach, you're going to hire somebody who is on the offensive side of the ball, somebody who, you know, is going to kind of get your quarterback right. Um, I mean, that was kind of the idea with the with the cliff hire uh, in Arizona, although it uh, obviously didn't work out a ton. So uh, I, I could see it with Callahan. I would be kind of surprised with Lou. Um, you know, he's never been a head coach before um, in the NFL, and I, I think it's just I think it's just a hard sell. Um, you know, I, I'm curious to see if they get interviews and what that kind of interview process is like. Um, but you, you also, yeah, I mean, you also got to take into consideration too. Like, it's more than just, hey, is this guy deserving of a job? Because there's ownership considerations, there's you know roster considerations. There's okay, how much you know roster control does this head coach get? How much does he want? You know, th- there are so many different things that kind of play into this. Um, you know, which is why, I, I mean, the Harbaugh stuff every year with uh, Jim Harbaugh, that is. Um, you know, with him kind of going to different places, that's kind of been the bugaboo for some of these things. So for me, I, I, I think that there's a lot to consider here. Um, Callahan would be the one that I would look at and say, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of gets into a, a group of finalists for one job. Um, but I, I mean, we're just going to have to see. I, I think there's a lot of interesting names out there, though. And why would you leave this situation for a job like right. Houston, which is obviously fired two one and done coaches, or Denver, where you're going to be in a quarterback sort of quagmire? Uh, I think you know with what they have built here, um, that you know, yeah, I don't necessarily know that he'd turn down a head coaching job, but I think he'd be at least selective. So, like of the five openings, 
I mean, you really only look, you know, three maybe that would be potentially attractive. Like, or, you know, does he want to work? Does he see Kyler Murray as the future in Arizona? That situation um, has gotten messy. So it's like, I mean, not all of these jobs, you know, Carolina would probably be the one you, you sort of want because it's like uh, you can come in there and institute your own blueprint. But um, I think there's something to be said for a guy that has a great situation here. He talked about that today with, with the management here. And then, oh, uh, by the way, you have Joe Burrow in his prime. So, I mean, I don't know that he's looking to get out, you know, like like they're looking to hit the quick exit button. Where Lou Anarumo is later in his career, do you take any shot that comes up? Callahan, I think, has some time here. It's not like he's running out the clock where he has to leave because, I mean, he has um, Burrow here for the indefinite future. Yeah, and, and to yeah. kind of piggyback off Mike's point, like, I mean, there there's 32 of them in the world. So, you know, I totally get the whole notion of, hey, even if the situation's not great, um, you know, maybe just jump at whatever you can get uh, because you never know, you know, when another chance is going to come around. But, like, again, to Mike's point, like, let's say Washington kind of does a surprise move and they fire Ron Rivera. I'm just using them as an example. Like, their ownership is in question and – when the, if, if and when a new owner comes in, they might have a new GM and like they don't have a quarterback. So I, I think that jobs can look appealing on, on paper, but Mike had a really good point where why would you leave Cincinnati and Joe Burrow and, and kind of all of this and the, and the talent you have on offense when you're kind of going into the great unknown. So um, I, I'm just, I'd be curious to see like what kind of interview it is and, you know, is it a team with a quarterback or a team with a, a draft pick to get a quarterback? There's there's just a lot of factors that go into it. And I bring up Washington just to kind of use that as an example. There's actually one other job I forgot to mention that could open. That's Indianapolis because I think uh, I'd hope Jeff Saturday's Indian, not the Indianapolis there. Indianapolis is open. He was an interim coach. Yeah. Yeah. Indianapolis, yeah, he, yeah. That's one I forgot, I forgot to mention. Yeah, because I mean, for those who know, don't know, he he came in, won his first game against the Raiders, lost the next seven. So, a pretty forgettable time. And I think that's honestly something that the Colts should be, frankly, embarrassed of that they even tried to pull that kind of stuff. No, I, I disagree with. Uh, not no, I I don't think so. He did, he did. Jeff Saturday did what he was supposed to do. They they wanted him to come in and smile and take the heat with. A, they wanted a franchise legend to take the heat and smile and then get them a really high draft pick. And they wanted somebody that the fan base, you know, they didn't want to have to bring in some outside guy. They were like, you know what? The fan base's opinion of Jeff Saturday is not going to change if we lose every single game. So I think he did exactly what he was supposed to do. But why? Okay, so two things. Number one, yeah, I don't think you should get an outside guy. But number two, why put him through that? Like, he's already an Indianapolis legend. He won a Super Bowl with Peyton Manning. Like, he's going to have to kind of live with that stigma of, oh, yeah, you came back and went one and seven. Like, uh, that's I'm the not thing. Saying- I don't think he's going to. They're going to look at him and say, you won the Super Bowl. I'm not saying most people will, but like that's just awkward. Like to me, that's awkward that they even put him through that. And look, it's it goes both ways. He took that offer. He had a good job at ESPN and left that behind for that. Which, I mean, I get it. I'm not a coach, but if I was a coach, I'd be like, eh, I had a good time in Indianapolis. I'm not gonna go back for that. But I mean, in a way though, I think it's kind of messed up because there were so many coaches on that staff who could have easily been elevated for what those eight games. I don't know if they would have done much better or worse, but like. I digress on that. I'm saying you have Indianapolis. You did mention Carolina, Mike. Um, that's another opening. So, yeah, th- those could be interesting. But, I mean, let's kind of reverse engineer that and think about this. Like, you know, think about the Bengals when they parted ways with Marvin Lewis after 15, 16 years. 
you know, they brought Zach Taylor, who, like we mentioned, McVay, he coached with McVay in L.A., helped coach Jared Goff as a quarterback's coach. He ended up going to the Super Bowl. He's doing decently in Detroit now, and, you know, what happens? Taylor gets the job at Cincinnati, and look, he went 2-14 and 14 his first year. I get what you guys are saying about, like, oh, you know, yeah, he, you know, both coaches are comfortable in Cincinnati, especially, like, you know, Callahan. He's got Joe Burrow. He's got Jamar Chase, T. Higgins. I get that. But, like, Zach Taylor was pretty comfortable in L.A. too, and he came to a team which, let's be real, like, the Bengals were bound to be the worst team in the league, whether it was with Taylor or anyone else. Like, that was not – for the most part, I mean, because you still had Joe Mixon and Sam Hubbard and Boyd and um, Jesse Bates, who ended up being great. But besides that, like, you had Andy Dalton – who we see what he is now with the Saints. Like, he was kind of washed up at that point. There was really nobody else remarkable on the team at that point. Dunlap, Carlos Dunlap was done. Most of their defense was washed up. But he took the shot. And look what happened. He got – I get it. I get it. He got Joe Burrow. Not everyone can say they have Joe Burrow. But he worked with that. They went to the Super Bowl last year. So you never know. Maybe either of those guys, if they get an offer, they see something in Carolina, Indianapolis – maybe L.A. I don't know. I'm just being hypothetical. Maybe they see something and say, you know what? Yeah, this looks like a dumpster fire, but I can turn this into something beautiful because that's what Zach Taylor did. He came into like just a disaster, to be honest, and then he turned it around. So who knows? I mean, that's going to be something to follow. And I think Callahan's going to be a very talked about name, so I want to keep my eyes on him. But, man, I'm already thinking way past the postseason. I'm just, I'm just jumping the gun, aren't I, guys? Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Hey, what? I always say this. I know Mike doesn't like this, but one can dream. One can dream. Even though we're not sleeping, we're awake. We can still dream. We're going to keep dreaming on and dreaming on later in the week as we, we talk about what the Ravens will look like as we get a better idea of how healthy Lamar Jackson is, how much he practices, and what he looks like, what to anticipate, and much, much more. But once again, for myself, Andrew Gillis, and Mike, and I'm Muhammad Ahmad. We'll see you back here on Wednesday. Great day.